Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about a topic that, well, I'll tell you, it's another one of those vital things that we need to discuss. It actually ties in a number of things that many of you have been struggling with. We're going to be talking about things that relate to financial health. We're going to be talking about issues that relate to our elders. And we're going to be talking about things that uh, have become very different over the last few months with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. My guest to help us in all this dialogue is uh, Andy Frazier. Andy, it's great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Andy, your name is a household word in a number of places, but uh, some of my listeners may not know you. You're the CEO of a company called MyWorth. Tell us a little bit about what you do. So as the CEO of MyWorth, my job is to make sure that we're providing and creating a community Um, to talk about money. So many people haven't really had an opportunity to really learn about money. It's not taught in every school. And so we wanted to be able to build a community that largely speaks to women, but we certainly have a lot of men that follow us as well on our website. And we produce a lot of content that teaches people how to navigate the throes of dealing with their money. One of the things that's been fascinating to me, Andy, and as we're recording this in in early to mid-April, is uh, there's been so much uh, discussion about the COVID-19 pandemic and especially how that impacts elders in our communities. And, of course, in Indian country, you know, such a, a high regard for elders. One of the things that I so value with our First Nation peoples is, although in, in some uh, sectors of the world it seems like there is not uh, a premium put on those with uh, more wisdom and experience, clearly in Indian country this is a cultural value. And so you've been getting a lot of attention because you're talking about the current crisis and and some of the challenges that that uh, can present as far as the care of aging parents or grandparents. Why has this become so personal to you? Well, you know, and in my research, as I was um, preparing to launch my work, one of the most interesting things that I found is that a lot of people aren't necessarily making a lot of decisions around their money until they're in a crisis, Mm. until something happens that pushes them into kind of having to do that. And it's often challenging to try to navigate learning about money, making decisions that are going to affect your lives and the lives of your family and the people you care about while you're also in the throes of a crisis, which has a lot of other, you know, emotional entanglements, you know, a lot of different decisions going on. A lot of people um, may be anxious about whatever that crisis might be, even if it's a good crisis, you know, it could be good or bad. So, I thought that was really interesting, and certainly this whole idea of COVID-19 and what we're dealing with is producing not only a healthcare crisis, but a financial crisis for many people. And in hearing from so many of our um, readers on MyWorthFinance.com, what I have been hearing about is I'm really struggling with figuring out how to take care of myself, my children who are now at home, and my parents. A lot of the, um, especially the women in our community, were taking care of their parents, their elderly parents, Mm -hmm. and not being able to see them in a nursing home and things like that. It was really um, causing them a lot of concern. And so we wanted to be able to speak to some of the things they could be doing to to help better care for them. 
I mean, it's such a practical discussion because when we speak about health, American Indian Living is known for being a health program, but we often feature guests like yourself who are taking a broader view of health. Sometimes I think people have maybe raised their eyebrows over the years when I've featured things on business health or financial health. But I think today, I mean, it's become so so clear how interwoven these things are. I just had a conversation the other day with an older woman who was saying she was uh, following all the guidelines. Uh, she's quite concerned. She's in her upper 80s, and she's pretty much sequestered in her home. And, and the challenge she was having was getting fresh fruits and vegetables. Now, she's in an urban area, and I know there's delivery services available, but a lot of folks, um, they're afraid even about the delivery services, even if someone's leaving something at their door. So we're seeing this, you know, really very, uh, very challenging interface between finances and our personal well-being and our personal health. Is this just something that, that I'm hearing about, or is this pretty pervasive, uh, Andy? You know, we talk a lot about the importance of having financial wellness alongside of the other types of areas of health that are really important to us, our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health. And so certainly financial health weighs into that. I frequently tell people that money is not math and money is a part of our lives in so many different areas and our sense of purpose and our sense of contributing to society and taking care of our families you know, really goes about our ability to earn income and have those financial resources available to do that. And when we don't have that, then often it can bring about stress and anxiety, which can harm our physical and our mental health as well. And so it is a conversation that I think more and more people are recognizing that there's a need to have. So a lot of folks, as they're hearing the opening dialogue that you and I are having, might be saying to themselves, well, this is a little bit too little and a way too late because a lot of folks right now, as they're listening, they're dealing with financial stress. Uh, they're uh, dealing with physical stress. How can we at this point, in this very challenging time, like you pointed out to begin with, people may not have been thinking all that much about their, their finances before this, but now if they're out of work, now if they're dealing with uh, you know a temporary layoff, uh, they're starting to look at things differently what kind of encouraging perspectives can you give us today, Andy? Well, I think it's important when you're looking at your decisions that you first take a deep breath. Um, not everything is going to be solved immediately. I do think we're going to be dealing with a lot of impacts of this crisis on into the future, as well as any other crisis that you may have. It's not always that it can be solved immediately. So thinking about your decisions in the three categories of now, next, and later gives you the ability to kind of put those things aside that you don't have to deal with right now so that you can focus and be hyper careful on what you're doing right in the moment. So right now it's looking at what money's coming in, what money's going out, what are my immediate concerns and what do I need to take care of right in this moment that cannot wait until later and addressing those. And then once you do that, then you can go and see what's the next thing that I have to be dealing with. It's kind of like doing the next right thing at every moment. And that way you aren't able to feel so overwhelmed by this whole process. Now, I so appreciate this perspective. I mean, for years I've heard people in various contexts speak about this concept of living one day at a time or one hour or one moment at a time. 
And that's what you're really trying to drill down to, aren't you? You're saying, what do I have to do right now? What's the immediate need? Focus on that first, correct? Absolutely. You know, when you're able to do that and not be worried about what, you know, what am I thinking about a year from now or two years from now, it allows you to be able to kind of compartmentalize some of your decision making and then even taking the things you're focused on right now and creating bite-sized action steps that you can take. If you, you know, have a big decision that you have to make, what can you do to break that down even further? What's the very next thing you need to do? Maybe it's just make a phone call or maybe it's just read a little bit of information about um, that decision or, you know, just something very small that kind of starts to get you into action so that you can move forward. I remember this uh, concept really spoke to me many years ago when I was uh, in my first year of medical school. Andy, I remember sitting there as I was studying and actually looking at a stack of medical books I had, textbooks, and realizing that even if I could master everything in the textbooks, I was being taught using nationally standardized tests. Some of the answers may not be in those books. And as a physician, whether I passed all the tests or not, I don't know if I was thinking this far ahead, but the whole idea was that there's just an overwhelming amount of information, an infinite amount of knowledge. And as I thought about all that I needed to know for the rest of my life, I just became paralyzed. I couldn't even study. It was like, what's the point? And I had to get to that point where, like you're saying, what do I have time for right now? What can I learn in this hour? And I really hear that. It's really resonating with me based on my experience. Yeah, and, you know, I think there's um, something else that you can even apply to this concept. Uh, I call it the four A's of decision-making. First is just getting really aware of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what you're doing, and who you're being right in the moment. Just become aware of what's going on in your body, what's going on in your mind, you know, the emotions involved, and getting really present to that and acknowledging that. And then once you do that, you can move on to the next phase, which is to acknowledge how this decision fits in with your other values and goals. Where does it align with the other things you said you wanted? And then you can move on into starting to, you know, make some decisions and to affirm that what you're doing is the right thing and then finally to act. Hmm. So a lot of times when we're in a crisis, people feel like they've got to act. They've got to do something. And uh, I think a lot of us have seen the danger of jumping in and doing something too quickly. Uh, the flip side is you probably have seen data like I've seen, especially in crisis situations. Some people do just freeze up and do nothing. So this process of these four A's, let me, tell, tell us those again just to make sure we've got them. Okay, the first one is to become aware, just, you know, really – Get clear about where you are right in this moment, getting aware of how you're, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what you're doing. The next step is to acknowledge where you are. Step back and revisit what you said was important to you. What are your values and what are your goals? Has anything changed? And if so, how has it changed? Because that may influence what choice you happen to make. And then you can move on to affirm, which is to reaffirm that, yes, my values and goals are what I said they were, or here's the new ones. And then you can look at what are the options available in front of me. And then finally to act, knowing that your choice is an intentional choice and that you are prepared for the outcome of that choice. Excellent, excellent. So awareness, acknowledgement, affirmation, 
and then action. So, yes. Andy, you've given us a lot of practical insights as we're trying to negotiate the uh, the challenges that we're facing. We said a lot of this really brings us back to speaking about our elders uh, and caring for them. And that's true whether it's folks at a tribal level who are looking out for other members of the tribe, may not be a, a direct uh, immediate blood relative uh, in the sense of, you know, may not be a grandparent or a parent, uh, or others who are talking about more of the nuclear family. Why is this also relevant in these discussions today? Well, I think so many times that we forget that, you know, our elders have so much wisdom. They've been through so much in their lives. They've learned through experience. They're not just learning through theory. They have so much wisdom there. And I think it's appropriate that we recognize where they are, that we are letting them become aware and us becoming aware of where they are right now in their lives and what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they're doing and who they're being. And we really respect where they are. And so when we're working with them on the choices that they want to be making for their lives, especially around um, long-term care or how they're going to be able to take care of themselves and provide for themselves, we have to acknowledge where they are in their lives and the fact that many of them want to be independent. They don't want to be a burden to their family. They just want to be able to, you know, make sure that they are um, living out the latter years of their life with ease and freedom. You know, I so appreciate you emphasizing these positive things about elders. Of course, I mean, this resonates throughout Indian country. But I know early in some of the dialogue about the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, I had more than one elder say to me, you know, I'm tired of folks blaming all this on us. We had to do this to take care of our weak uh, elders. This person, first person told me this, and then I, they heard it uh, from someone else, and I, I know this is something that's been, been re-echoed many times. Um, this is not just an issue dealing with our elders, and this has been a key message that we've been hearing for a long time now. But early on, a lot of this dialogue, and I, I know even among some younger age groups, among younger and healthier people, they felt like they were being held hostage by uh, the needs of elders. But I so appreciate you putting this in the framework of, of let's look at ourselves as a, as a whole society. Let's realize the value that our elders bring to the table and uh, really... As we talk about safeguarding them, we're talking about things that are not only in their interest, but in the interest of our whole community. Andy, we do have to step away here just briefly. Andy Frazier, she's the CEO of a group called My Worth. We're going to tell you more about that and about resources she has that can help you and, and those that you love. A lot more practical things coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We will be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest, Andy Frazier. She's the CEO and editor-in-chief of My Worth LLC. She's a Forbes book author, and she's our guest today speaking about the challenges that we find ourselves in, especially as we look at multi-generational communities and families. Andy, we were speaking before the break about just affirming our elders. Of course, in Indian country, this uh, might be a message you would say, well, you're just preaching to the choir. First Nation peoples have valued their elders historically, but from your vantage point, as you deal with people across cultural lines, what kind of messaging are you giving that underscores the importance of elders and communities? Well, you know, I think it's really important to recognize that our elders took care of all of us while we were young and growing up. I still, you know, call my mom and dad whenever I have questions or want to, you know, pick their brain because they certainly have more wisdom than I do. And and I appreciate their viewpoint, having experienced so much in life. And one of the most interesting things about talking to so many women throughout the country is how they are really the caregivers for not only their, their own children or their own family, but they're also the caregivers for elderly loved ones as well, not even just a mom and dad. It might be a an in-law or an aunt or uncle or even a grandparent still. And and they really want to be able to make sure that they are taking care of everybody and respecting where everybody is in their lives. And so I, I really am encouraged to see so many people starting to pay attention to our elder community because people are living longer and there's just so much we can learn from them. You know, these messages are so important. And I know, as you mentioned in the first segment, You've had a special interest in helping women with their, we might call it financial literacy. Tell us a little bit why this current pandemic that we've been in the midst of for some time is uh, 
so impacting women in particular? Well, I think there is some of the more maybe obvious things that um, we're, we're seeing. Women are still not paid comparatively to their male counterparts. Um, many women are also in service-related industries. Um, either they're in healthcare and they're working extremely long hours right now, or they're providing some other service. And so many of their jobs have been more impacted than maybe even their male counterparts. And so they're certainly trying to navigate what to do now. And some of them are single parents. Some of them are also taking care of not only their families, but also their loved ones. And even with the restrictions on visiting nursing homes, it's been a really hard thing for women to have to adjust to the loss of an income and also figuring out how they're going to take care of everybody that they love in their lives. One of the things that's uh, often entered into these discussions is this aspect of caregiving. And of course, uh, women don't have uh, uh, the unique role in that capacity, but historically in many homes, it's the women who've been the primary caregivers for the family. How does this challenge that we're dealing with right now and the desire to care for aging parents in the midst of this crisis. Is there some kind of silver lining? Is there any opportunities here that even as we're going through this crisis, as we're thinking about, yes, there's immediate things we've got to do, but are there some long-term benefits that may grow out of this very challenging time? Absolutely. You know, I think that one of the things that I found most interesting about women's roles in caregiving is that many times, even if the financial aspect of caregiving is spread amongst, um, you know, brothers and sisters, perhaps, or, or people in the family, that most of the physical caregiving is done by the female of the family. And so, therefore, it becomes a little bit hard, especially when you can't get out and you can't go and do some of those things. There's an extra amount of stress that's put on women and, and what they're trying to do. I think this is a great opportunity, though, for us to be reminded that having conversations earlier is important. Or if you're in a crisis, having the conversation now, making sure you're very clear about what it is that your family members want to have happen. And this is especially in regards to taking care of elderly loved ones. What do they envision for their lives? What kind of care do they want to receive? What are their wishes? How do they want us to be able to support them? We can't just assume that we know what's best, that we should respect their viewpoint and where they are and encourage them to be open and sharing with us on how best can support them, not only physically in caregiving, but also financially as well. Now, Andy, I know you've got a lot of resources that can help people as they're navigating these challenges today or in the future. Tell us a little bit more about MyWorth Finance and the different uh, resources there at the website and also with your, your company, MyWorth. So we have a lot of blogs, videos. We even have a free online crisis management course that will take you through a series of videos that speak specifically to what you can be doing and thinking about right now. We talk about pre-crisis, mid-crisis, and post-crisis, and even discuss what lessons we might be able to learn as we navigate through this immediate crisis that we're in. And so I encourage people to go to the myworthfinance.com slash crisis website, and they can browse through that and see what we have available. Follow us on social, on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And then, of course, they can buy my book, Financially Free, that's available through every bookseller, which takes you through 11 conversations to have with yourself about life, money, and worth. 
Wow, you got a lot of stuff out there. I'm I'm really uh, fascinated by this free online crisis management course. Is this something that grew out of the current uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, or is this something that you folks had prepared in advance? Well, you know, one of the advantages I've guessed of being uh, operating in a kind of startup business model is that we can react very quickly to what we hear from our community. And that's one of our commitments is that we respond to what's going on and what's relevant right now for the people that are connected in our community. And so we we started getting questions about this crisis and about what to do and the financial implications. We decided instead of trying to just answer all these questions one off, that it would probably be valuable to offer them in a way that all of our community could take part in. And so we quickly Um, just kind of came up with the idea of doing an online free workshop. Um, I set up a little studio in my daughter's bedroom and recorded some videos just kind of talking through um, certainly the ways and context in which you can make some decisions. We focus on cash flow, protection, savings, growth, and debt, how to think about those things right now. And then we also have some um, crisis management general topics that we share. And so it was something that we felt like we could get out really quickly, but would be extremely valuable to our community right at this moment. So if I want to take advantage of that, I've got to remember your website. And, and give us the website again, the general website. It's MyWorthFinance, M-Y-W-O-R-T-H-F-I-N-A-N-C-E.com. Okay, so MyWorthFinance.com. If I remember nothing else, can I just go to your homepage? Will I find a link or something to the free online crisis management course? Absolutely. At the very top, we have a green banner that talks about the COVID-19 crisis, and you can click on that. And we have um, all of our videos. And they're short videos, so even if you can't watch all of them at one sitting, you can um, you know, watch them at your leisure and, or go to the one that you think might be the most relevant to whatever you're facing right at this specific time. And do you expect that these resources will stay up? I mean, this show is a pre-recorded show, even though we're in April. You know, we're probably talking about a show that's going to be airing in May of 2020, at least for the first time. I mean, a lot of our shows will re-air somewhere down the road. Folks will be tuning in. Are you likely to keep this online crisis management course up and available? We don't want to tie your hands, but is it so focused on COVID-19 that once this disappears from the uh, collective consciousness, it's probably likely to disappear from your webpage? Well, you know, it's interesting, even though I do talk specifically about some of the things going on that relate to this crisis, we are going to be keeping it up. We're launching a MyWorth Academy. We're going to be releasing another financial foundations course that's not specific to this crisis, but it really goes over the basics of building your financial foundation. We're releasing that at the end of April, and so we'll have that in there as well as the crisis management course, and we'll have some other micro courses. Um, Some of them will be paid courses, and some of them will be free resources as well. So we will have that in our MyWorth Academy they can reference. Tremendous. So I've got this uh, written down, myworthfinance.com. And uh, I'm thinking as soon as we finish this show that I'm going to be checking that out. It's uh, my first time to hear about it, even though I did get some advanced lead from your team that you have some resources out there. It didn't really register on my radar screen until we're talking here really about some stuff that sounds excellent, uh, free crisis management course. Talk with me and my listeners a bit, Andy. Share some, some stories, practical stories that illustrate 
why this stuff is important? Well, I think sometimes, you know, when I'm talking to different families, they're finding that a lot of conversations about money really haven't come up. And it may be that, you know, one or two people in the family feel very uncomfortable talking about money. I I grew up in the South where, you know, um, money was something that was considered a taboo subject. And so it was very rarely spoken about. And so having these types of conversations can feel very uncomfortable for many people. And then unfortunately, then you find yourself in a crisis situation or in a situation where decisions have to be made. And yet you haven't really had these conversations. And so now you're trying to make decisions with maybe not all of the information needed. And so for many people, I think it's about first getting into conversation about um, not just where the money is going to come from to pay for things, but also what that ultimate goal is. Mm. What is the wish of the person that's you know, doing that mm-hmm. um, makes it a lot easier to come up with solutions. No, well said. We want to talk more about this because you've got so much practical information. We're going to draw more from the wisdom of Andy Frazier here in our next segment. We do have to step away just briefly, but we've got more life-changing material coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. Stay tuned. More up right after this. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So, whether it's around your neighborhood... Or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose, my guest, Andy Frazier. Andy's been telling us about uh, her life work and about the company that she heads up, MyWorth and MyWorthFinance.com. All kinds of great resources I've been learning about are on that website. Andy, as we were talking, though, some of the challenges that we're facing, and that's true whether it's uh, a world influenced by COVID-19 or the world before COVID-19 or a long time after it, is really caring for our elders in a way that respects their needs, their desires, and yet is financially responsible for everyone. A lot of times I know as individuals get older, they look to their children or other significant others in their lives to even manage their finances. And so it seems so important to have discussions up front. I know you've been telling us about that. Give us some practical illustrations. I know you deal with so many people and you've got so many great stories, but help bring this home even more for us as we're trying to wrap our minds around some things that are really going to be very important for all of us if they haven't become important already. You know, I'm instantly thinking about my own personal situation. I'm in my late 40s, but both of my parents who've been married for over 50 years are still alive. They're in their early 70s. And it wasn't too long ago that I watched my mother really have to go through a lot of this kind of um, situation with my grandparents. My um, grandmother passed many, many years ago of cancer, but my grandfather slowly started to decline. He started to develop some dementia later on. And so watching her navigate that, you know, it kind of happens and sneaks up on you. And so had she not had some of these conversations earlier, it could have been very challenging for her to be able to make sure she understood how to best care for him and how to handle some of his financial aspects of his life um, because he wasn't always thinking or even able to communicate as clearly as he might have before the the dementia started to settle in. And so even talking with him about things such as, you know, what is his living will state and how does he want to have measures extended or not extended to keep him alive? And who does he want to make those decisions on his behalf? Does he have a healthcare proxy, a person that he's designated to make those decisions? Um, In this event, it was my mother, but you know, even having some of those basic conversations and, and having those documents to represent not only what those wishes are, but how to communicate that with the rest of the family members are just important things to be doing as early on as possible because you don't know what kind of illness might end up coming about later on in life. I mean, this is such a great point, and I'm so glad that you brought up the subject of dementia. We could expand it to just any kind of cognitive challenges And my wife and I were speaking a little while ago. We, for a number of years, had her uh, elderly mother living with us. She did very well for many years. And then, uh, as often happens as we get up in years, you know, had some cognitive challenges. But just thinking about that whole scenario in today's environment, when people have routines that now uh, we're being told are not appropriate routines when it comes to things like social distancing and other things, How does someone deal with an elder that you love and care about that you want to safeguard and they just can't seem to understand maybe a need to practice certain aspects of hygiene or social distancing? How do you work in a situation like that? 
You know, it's it's so tough to be able to do that. I've been hearing about some really interesting creative ways that people are trying to communicate because, you know, you've got to explain to them why you're not coming to visit them when maybe you were doing so on a regular basis. So I'm hearing about people recording videos and letting the healthcare workers there within the, if they're in a nursing facility, show them the video, trying to keep things as simple as possible so that you're not frightening them. Um, so they understand, um, sending them letters, I, you know, people are coming outside and standing outside of the windows, but just making sure that you're keeping some sort of cadence of communication um, and reaching out to them in a, an appropriate way, whether that be through video or sending them a card or letting the healthcare workers communicate a message or, or you know, dropping off gifts, if you can do that, is a way to be able to let them know that you're still there and that you haven't forgotten about them. Excellent. So I'm glad you're speaking to those folks who may find themselves in a situation where they say, I wish we had done more, that we had prepared for this better. And of course, there's a lot of things in life that we never can fully prepare for. But let's step back just a couple of steps, Andy, and talk to folks whose elderly parents, uh, their elders, they are fully competent, they're lucid, but Yet there's some of these tasks that really need to be addressed. You mentioned the story in your own family, but can you maybe walk us through some of the top things we should be thinking about communicating with when it comes to our, our elderly parents or, or others that we're especially connected to? Certainly. Um, so the first area I do think is important is to talk about your wishes related to health care. I mentioned a living will. So there's a series of advanced directives that I think are really appropriate to be thinking about and having in place. And the first would be that living will. A living will is a document that states what your wishes are as it relates to medical care if you are um, permanently unconscious or dying. And so you might talk about that you want to have certain measures extended or not extended, but you're outlining that specifically in that living will. And then that's usually coupled with a durable power of attorney for health care, which is a document that states who your health care proxy is. And a health care proxy is someone that you trust to be able to carry forward whatever you state in your living will. So they need to be somebody that's not going to have a, a problem in terms of carrying forward what you said was important to you about how you wanted care to be given or not given to you in your lifetime. So it needs to be someone that can can do that and carry it forward and not be um, challenged with having to carry that forward. And then also making sure that you have a, a will um, instead of leaving that up to the state where you're outlining what your wishes are. And after these documents are drafted or after you started to think about them, and you can even find quick templates online, so you don't have to hire an attorney to do all of these. Um, but after you have these documents drafted, I think communicating that with not only the person that's going to have to carry forward those decisions, but with other family members as well, so that everybody knows what's in those documents and how you're thinking about them. So there's not any conflicts uh, or challenges, you know, when that happens that event happens to take place. I see so many families arguing and bickering over these kinds of decisions and certainly about financial decisions. And so as much of that as you can um, communicate and share with the appropriate people ahead of time, the less friction there'll be when that time comes. So we've talked about these three areas. So the, the health care, uh, advanced directives, the durable power of attorney, and then making sure a person has got a will nailed down. I know you mentioned earlier, Andy, that oftentimes entering into those discussions are challenging because 
these are often not things that we're speaking about. In fact, uh, sometimes bringing up the subject of, of death or disability or finances can create tension in the family. Have you found any ways that kind of smooth that over and help everyone realize that this is in everyone's interest and, and no one's trying to push an uncomfortable agenda? Yeah, this is probably the most challenging part of them all is to have that initial conversation. And so I think certainly not going at it from, hey, I want to know what your financial situation is because I may have to take care of that in the future. Is That's probably not the way to start the conversation. I would encourage um, you to sit down and just say, I want to talk a little bit about how best I can be supportive to you through your later years of life. And that not only includes how you want to see care given to you, but also how what is the what is the financial ramification so that we can put some things in place so that you feel like you still have the independence that you want to have, but that I can also be prepared so that I can financially take care of you if need be and make some adjustments within my own personal financial situation and really putting it on them and saying, I want to support you and I want to best be prepared um, to make sure that you maintain whatever level of independence you want, but also be aware of what your wishes are and desires are and what resources are available. So there's no surprises so that we can, um, you know, really enjoy the time that we have together going forward. You know, it does seem, as I step back, as we both step back and kind of look at where we find ourselves, that when we do go through challenging times, it can make it easier to bring up these difficult questions. I mean, it it can be something as simple as a story, talking about friends or other individuals, other loved ones who may be going through challenges right now because certain things weren't done. And uh, there's so many people today uh, who, if they develop severe COVID-19 infection, do end up on those uh, advanced therapeutics, the breathing machines, and uh, et cetera. So it seems to me, you know, from my vantage point, that there are opportunities today where maybe it just seems we're talking about implications of the environment we find ourselves in, that it may make it easier to bring up these subjects. Is that just wishful thinking, or have you seen that opportunity as well? It, it really Ironically, there is, I guess, a silver lining in this is that it does bring to light the importance of having these conversations. And so even if you don't have any loved ones that immediately are um, infected with this virus, it can bring about some important conversations to be had where you can start to have and move forward with understanding what's happening. You know, I know for so many people, they sometimes don't like to talk about these things. They think it's like a bad omen if they're going to be talking about their will or their end of life decisions. But I think it's important to also impress upon them that, you know, in order for you, the caregiver, to be able to best care for them and also care for yourself and your family, then these conversations are important to have. So even if maybe they don't want to share what's going on because they think it might be a bad omen to them, if they know that it's going to help you be better prepared for the things you have to do in your own family situation, sometimes that can you know, certainly um, allow them to be more open with these discussions. Tremendous. I am still fascinated by something you mentioned earlier in the show. You talked about this special resource that you and your team have developed to help people deal with crisis, this free online crisis management course. And I know we didn't speak much about it. And I know I've got a lot of listeners who are probably a lot like me, and they're saying, this sounds like this could just be incredible. Can you give us uh, one more time how to access that course? 
Absolutely. You can go to myworthfinance.com. And up at the top, there's a green banner that talks about the COVID-19 crisis uh, workshop. You can click on that banner or you can go to myworthfinance.com slash crisis. And that will take you directly to that landing page where that course is available for free. Now, we don't have a lot of time in this segment left, but can you give us a quick overview of what someone would find if they clicked on that myworthfinance.com slash crisis? What are they going to find? So they're going to find a series of videos where I'm really just talking directly to the camera and talking about some things for you to be thinking about. I talk about how to analyze your current cash flow situation, where you might be able to make some adjustments immediately now to free up some money. I talk about how to handle debt. A lot of people are asking questions about debt repayment. Should they continue to do that or should they not? I also talk a little bit about the areas of protection, about your insurance and some ways you might be able to come up with some additional funds in that area, as well as focus on savings. And I touch briefly on even this concept of seeing the stock market being so volatile and what do I do about my um, assets there. And so I really am speaking directly to the viewer and just um, very conversational, giving some quick tips and things that they could be thinking about, not only now, but certainly will serve them beyond this. Tremendous. I know you've got a lot of other great insights. We'll be checking some of them out on the website, myworthfinance.com slash crisis. And uh, yet we've still got another opportunity to hear some great information here on this show. Our final segment is coming up. We do have to step away just briefly. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More on American Indian living. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. 
Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Andy Frazier has been with me from the beginning of the hour, and uh, she's graciously agreed to stay by. Andy, we've been talking about uh, an exciting initiative, a company that you started not all that long ago. As you mentioned earlier, it's uh, still in what a lot of people would consider a startup phase. But you've been building quite a community of, of subscribers. And as I understand it, these are free subscribers, right? Absolutely. It's free to subscribe to our website. It's just a way for us to be able to keep in touch with our community and send them information that we think might be relevant to them. And as you've been interacting with those folks, you've been hearing a lot of firsthand stories, a lot of concerns. You've got your finger on the pulse of many people. What kind of things are you hearing that we really have not dwelt on enough in this show? You know, I think what I'm hearing is that with a loss of job or a loss of control around what's happening to us right now, and especially as it relates to money, you know, it can bring up these feelings of shame sometimes that we have about our own financial situation. I, I talked to hundreds and thousands of people around the country who talk with me a lot about the impact that having debt has had on their mindset, on how they feel about their own self-confidence and self-worth. And, you know, losing a job or a business that you've worked so hard to build can be devastating, but it's not just a loss of money. It's also a feeling of a loss of purpose. And so, so many of us work not just to pay the bills, but to also be of service and contribution to our society. And so when that's taken away from us, we can start to have some real self-doubt about our own self-worth. And that can ultimately result into feeling uh, feelings of shame if we're not careful. And so I think it's important to recognize how money is interwoven throughout our lives and how our mindset and our previous beliefs can really impact our ability to think clearly about those upcoming decisions that we have to make. This is so insightful, and I know it's it's real. And as folks are listening, they're tuning in. I mean, some people are really resonating with this, I, I know, Andy. What do you say to them as uh, they're really struggling? I mean, they're, they've lost that job, and they're looking at the prospects of that workplace ever opening its doors again, and it's not looking really good. So this is their identity. Maybe they've been in that job for many years. What do we say to someone like that? How do we help them through this time? Well, I think it's first just recognizing that it's okay to feel, you know, lousy about what's going on and to try to pretend that you don't, it just kind of bottles things up and can manifest in a, in a different way later on. And so getting, you know, going back to those four A's, just getting really aware of how you're thinking and what you're feeling and allow yourself to really feel those feelings. And then you can think about, you know, is this a time where it may present itself with an opportunity? You know, is there something else that maybe you have an interest in that you've wanted to explore? This may be an opportunity for you to explore a different industry or a different career. And also to, to keep in mind that, you know, our entire world is really facing this type of a crisis. And so it is kind of unique in terms of everybody is feeling this in some way. So I do think we're going to see a lot of resilience come out of this where people are offering opportunities to people and wanting to help people get back to work 
and really supporting them. And I, I really just am encouraged by some of the positive helpers that I see out there right now. This whole topic of resiliency has been discussed in many crisis situations in the past. I know it's uh, getting a spotlight shown on it, at least in some discussions. But uh, ironically, many people are not even thinking so much about resiliency and long-term results because they are doing what you suggested earlier, and they're really focused on the here and now and the immediate needs. But that involves resiliency as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. Just making sure that, um, you know, if you're in the middle of like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent or my mortgage, you know, one of the very first things you can do is just be in communication. You know, so much can be cleaned up with good communication. And so reaching out and finding out from your landlord or your bank or whoever you may have your loan with, you know, even just reaching out, letting them be aware of your situation, you might be surprised at what relief they might be able to offer you. I think we get into trouble when we don't communicate what is happening and when we think that we have to solve it all ourselves. I think asking for support shows a sign of strength, not weakness. And so many people really do want to help and they just don't know how. And so you asking for help might give them the ability to actually do something they've been wanting to do, which is help someone else. You know, this is such a powerful concept and I know it. Uh, it's really a cross-cultural concept. Many of my listeners come from a, a Native American spiritual perspective. Uh, others have embraced uh, more of a Christian worldview. And uh, I think of that great passage in the scripture where it talks about it being more blessed to give than to receive. And uh, regardless of where people come from, I mean, I think this is something that we lose sight of. If we have a need, what I hear you saying, Andy, is if we don't let someone know of that need, we're depriving them of the blessing of helping us, aren't we? Absolutely. I, I see so many people that want to help and they just don't really know where or how to help. And so, you know, asking for what you need really gives somebody else an opportunity to give back and pay it forward. And so many people are really looking for ways that they can be doing that. Andy, I know a lot of folks have said these are helpful things that we're talking about. Many of them probably feel like they'd like a whole lot more. You've already told us that you've got this online community. You've given us the website. It's myworthfinance.com. I know you've got the videos there to help people in times of crisis. Tell us a little bit more about what else we can find at your website and why that might be especially relevant to us today. So we have a variety of blogs that really touch on all things, not just money, but lifestyle, career, family, wellness, and health. Um, there's also my book, which they can order and, and read over this time while they're at home, financially free. Um, and we also have some great videos where I'm talking to other women who've gone through different issues and challenges in their life and how they're navigating that. And so there's a lot of different ways that they can engage with us and get information and even hear how other people have gone through some of what they may be going through right now. I love the title of your book, Financially Free. We haven't talked much about it. This is uh, an age where, especially today, a lot of people are saying, well, I've always wanted to write. I've got some time off. And anybody can write. Anybody can publish a book. But uh, your book is published under the Forbes imprint. And, uh, you know, it's a sound financial book. But my understanding is people are telling you it's an easy read and it's very practical. Tell us a little bit more about what we'll find in the book Financially Free. It was really important to me when I wrote this book that I didn't 
write a how-to book. I really wanted to focus on these conversations that you first need to have with yourself before you actually get into what there is to do with your money. There's a lot of how-to books out there. And so I really wanted to kind of write a book that would be, you know, before that, where you start to think about what is important to you. What are your values? What are your goals? What are your, what did childhood teach you about money and how to have that adult relationship now? And then I do touch on some things to be thinking about in the different financial areas, like the cash flow protection, savings and growth and debt areas. But I wanted this to be, you know, a book where people would read it and get into conversation with themselves and then their family and friends, and ultimately maybe even professionals that they need to engage, where they can then start taking action with intentionality, where they're thinking through some of this stuff before they actually make a plan so that their plans are more likely to be followed through and carried out. So Financially Free is the title of the book. The subtitle is 11 Conversations to Have with Yourself About Life, Money, and Worth. And is that kind of an outline of, of the chapters? Are there 11 different chapters, or is it uh, not that simple? No, it's 11 conversations. It kind of There's two parts in the book. The first part really focuses on you know, your mindset, those, that values, those goals, your beliefs about money. And then the second part focuses a little bit more on some of the financial areas of life. And then I end the book kind of talking a little bit about money and relationships and how to have conversations with your children about money and even some of the things you might want to be thinking about in terms of your legacy. So it really carries you through a lot of different stages of life. And it's designed to have you first have this important conversation with yourself. And then as you get clear about what it is that you want to have happen and what you want to achieve and what's important to you, then you feel more powerful about having that conversation with others. Now, Andy, I know it's become popular these days when someone releases a book to have some free material from the book. I know folks can go to Amazon and can read parts of the book, presumably. Are there also options of doing that on the MyWorthFinance.com website? Well, actually, they can go to um, AndyFrazier.com. That's spelled A-N-D-E-F-R-A-Z-I-E-R.com. And you can download a chapter of my book. I think there's the introduction in the first chapter that you can download for free. So I would encourage everybody to do that. There's also an assessment that they can take that's a series of questions to kind of find out where they are right now with these conversations. And so it's a free assessment, and we give you some other content um, once you do that. And then you can also download uh, a chapter of the book. Wow, and that's all at andyfraser.com? Yes. Very good. Andy, our time has just about slipped away from us. I have so appreciated you being our our guest on American Indian Living today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that is all we have time for today. I'm so glad that you've been able to join us as our listeners on American Indian Living. Hopefully today's show has given you some further tools, some further resources to be successful in the days ahead. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.